You're listening to Four Point Stance, Women's Tackle Football Talk on a lot of places. It's so hard to keep track anymore. If you want to access most of the podcast locations, go to anchor.fm slash the number 4PT Stance. And you can find your favorite podcast location from there. You can go to mixcloud.com. In the search bar, put Four Point Stance. It's easier than me telling you what the URL is. Or you can just go to Twitter and get to the official Twitter handle, the number four, underscore PT, underscore stance, or just me directly, W34VI1. Yelfi is also an option. They are trying to help build as much as they can. Number four, PT stance, or W34VI1. And you can go to the Facebook page and see kind of various other things from the production website, W34VI1 Productions, Weevil Productions. And uh, you can get more information just in general from there. And also, as a reminder, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline available every day of the year for everything that you can you need help with. 1-800-273-8255. You were listening to Four Point Stance, Women's Tackle Football Talk on so many places it's hard to keep up anymore. You can get to the show... Through anchor.fm slash the number 4PT stance. And you can access your favorite podcast location, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, Breaker. But if your favorite one isn't there, you can request it and it will get set up so you have access. You can also go to mixcloud.com, put in the search bar 4 point stance because it's a lot easier than me spelling out the URL for you. You can access everything through Twitter. Pretty much get to anchor from Twitter at the official Twitter handle, the number four underscore PT underscore stance. Or you can just follow me directly, W34VI1. You can get on Yelfi with the number four PT stance or W34VI1 as well. And you can even go to the Facebook page of the production company that I own that runs this, W34VI1 Productions. And as a reminder, available 24-7, no matter what, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. So, we're in week 5 of Guam, week 9 of the WFA, week 9 of the WNFC, and I guess technically week 8 of the USWFL. Um... Yeah, before I really rip into something that I want to rip into, <laughs> um, I'm really not going to talk about last episode because, yeah, I don't think it needs to be said. So, just go ahead and just get into uh, the stuff for this week. Now, hopefully, Guam actually like gives us updates because I still don't know the scores of last week's games. Um, I don't even know if they were played. I know that they've been doing a lot of radio stuff, but, you know, it's hard to cover something if you're not going to give us anything. And I know that you're in a little corner, but nobody, I mean, be nice to know, especially with your playoffs coming up in a couple weeks. But uh, this week, supposedly, Steel Blazing Saints will be hosting the Island Stunners. See the Stunners taking this victory, assuming we get a score. Um... Just because the Stunners are the stronger team out of the two, but Steel Blazing Saints could be a surprise. 
And then Sindeli Raiders will be hosting Team Legacy. Sadly, Legacy always has the advantage here being the champions, but also just in general. But Sindeli Raiders are a challenge this year. So I I think this is going to be one of those very interesting setups. And uh, we'll see how moving forward, how the playoff schedule sets up. If Guam even tells us. I'm getting a little frustrated and at the same time, you know, whatever. I mean, it happens. Um, I know a lot's going on, but eh, it'd be nice to know, have information. On the USWFL side of things, as I said earlier, it was week eight. They've got four games scheduled. Whether or not they happen is a question because two of their games, which I think is strange to have back-to-back, literally, um, previous week were forfeits, so we'll see what they happen this week. Washington Prodigy will take on Hampton Roads. And, you know, while the Gators are showing themselves to be a little stronger than people think, you know, looking at the Gators' only loss this season being to... North Florida being an out-of-league game. Um, You know, this is going to be a tough battle for the Gators. It is in North Fork, so that does help them a little bit, but they are hosting the Prodigy. And Prodigy, you know, unless they get held to the 28-0 similar setup like they had with DMV, you know, this is not going to be easy for the Gators to take this victory. I do see... Washington taking it, but I don't see Hampton Roads letting it be such a huge blowout by any means. You are listening to Four Point Stance Women's Tackle Football Talk on at least 10 different locations. You can get to nine of them through anchor.fm slash the number 4PT Stance, and that'll take you to Apple, Google, Breaker, Spotify, Pocket Cast, you know, it'll take you to a bunch. If your favorite podcast location is not located, please request it and it'll get set up. I do have another one that's coming up soon. Um, whenever it approves, and I'll let you know when that is set up. But also, you can go to Mixcloud, mixcloud.com. It's easy to put in the search bar. It's easier than me spelling out the URL. Four Point Stance, all written out. Or just Coach Ash, and you can find the show. You can join the forum on Twitter at the number four underscore PT underscore stance, or you can go to my Twitter feed, W34VI1, and you can access it on Yelfi, the number four PT stance, or W34VI1. And you can also get access on Facebook through the official production page, W34VI1 Productions. So... The WNFC finished up their regular season. We know who's going to go into playoffs. Um, the WFA is theoretically kind of in a weird part. Um, schedule's kind of weird because playoffs start next week. But then there's still a regular season. It's, yeah, it's kind of a funky thing for week 11 next week. Or I should say this, yeah, next week. Um... And then the USWFL still has a couple more weeks to go. Guam, I don't know what's going on with Guam because they're not reporting any games. They're not streaming any games. They're posting, they're doing radio stuff. So I don't even know if games are being played. Um, 
really, I don't even know. So I'm at this point where if you can't get me your content, you know, yes, we're all only talking about two games, but it would be nice to know, especially with their playoffs coming up, it would be nice to get information just in the fact that I'm tired of not knowing shit in this and uh, then expecting to accept it, you know? So, whatever. To go ahead and get the scores out of the way, I'm going to do this kind of in stages. There's little bits here and there that I need to kind of get into. Um, the USWFL, it was week 8, apparently, because they take um, league-wide buys at times. But it was week 8. Uh, Washington Prodigy traveled to Hampton Roads. I'd said this was going to be a close game. It was. Hampton Roads actually, actually, I don't, never mind. I didn't say it was going to be a close game, but I didn't see Hampton Roads winning. But they did kind of surprise everyone and held Washington Prodigy to one of the lowest scores they've seen in a long time. Washington did win 19 to nothing, but Hampton Roads held them to 19 points. And I know on Hampton's social media, they are very thrilled. They're not happy they didn't get the win, but they're very happy that it didn't turn out to be such a huge blowout. Tri-Cities Thunder traveled to Fayetteville Fierce. That game actually happened. Tri-Cities won 48 to nothing. Keystone Assault took on the DMV Knights. And this game, you know, when these two saw each other, it was not an easy game for Keystone, but it wasn't also difficult. DMV, with their little numbers, you know, proved that they can hold it well. You know, when these two saw each other last week, it was 28 to nothing. This week, Keystone only won by 12. 12 to nothing. So, you know, that's a pretty impressive game. So DMV is one of those teams that, building on the season, they're a lot stronger than people think. And it's going to be very interesting as they move forward how they really take off. And then the Detroit Pride at West Virginia game didn't happen, so Detroit gets the 2 nothing. One of the reasons why I'm kind of breaking this up is I kind of want to uh, call these leagues out individually. Um, You know, trying to navigate the USWFL website, maybe if I find a rule book, that'll be interesting. But um, I'm not finding stuff, and I'm finding... That's very interesting. Part of me is thinking about contacting them and saying, "Um, what's your guys' rule book? Because... God forbid you tell us, because right now, I'm not very happy with any of the leagues regarding their rules. Um, it's kind of looking to be shady on all levels when leagues can't even publish their own rule books, don't even have their rule books finished, or didn't even have them updated. USWFL is one of those that they don't talk unless it benefits uh, the owners. If it doesn't benefit Tri-Cities, then why I give a fuck about it? And that shit's got to stop. It really is. You know, going forward, we have got to solve these problems. And I don't know why this can't be... This can't be simple. And just at least post something that says, Hey, we use NCAA or we use NFL with NCAA modifications. Something. Because right now the silence is deafening and I'm getting, as a media person, I'm getting a little tired of it. On the WFA side of things, 
had a lot more forfeits this week, but it is to be expected as the season comes to an end. Um, Jacksonville did call their season so far. I could have guessed that considering that they forfeited their game um, against Tampa. You know, I'm a little sad that Cincinnati forfeited their game against St. Louis. We knew Arkansas was out, so their game to the Panthers was forfeited. Uh, Utah's out. Their game was forfeited to Mile High. Uh, Wisconsin, we knew that they were going to kind of call it, but that takes them out of playoffs, which is weird. Um, So Minnesota got that victory. And then, yeah, Tennessee had been forfeiting all season, really, and so Knoxville got a victory out of that. But the rest of the games happened. Right away, I'm going to go ahead and get the biggest one that's sitting on the board that has everybody questioning what happened. Philadelphia Phantoms at Boston Renegades. Right away, I'm going to tell you the score. It's 91 to nothing Boston. And I had the opportunity to check out the game film from Crossover through my coaching channel, through my coaching access, and I just viewed it on my own, and I saw exactly what was going on. Philadelphia was playing sloppy. You know, tackling high and just not holding, not reacting to the ball correctly. They were just going for it, but not watching the ball. And obviously, Boston was the better team here. Um, Boston was rotating in, you know, players that may not have seen all that much action throughout the season because there's a point where when you score points, you really have no choice. Still unable to determine if this is one of those games that Boston scored this many points because they could or Boston scored this many points because there was no other choice. Um, Trust me, I've been in both of those kind of games. There's some points where you can literally run into every single person on the field and still end up in the end zone, and it happens. But this, it's difficult to say, you know. I did look at the game film, and it's still got questions, but I do know Philadelphia was quite sloppy regardless. DC Divas took on the Richmond Black Widows. This one went as expected. DC did win 70-8. to Baltimore Nighthawks took on the Western Connecticut Hawks. I did think this game would be close just because Western Connecticut had been giving close games all season. Baltimore decided to just kind of step up and say, nope. Baltimore took the victory 28-3. Pittsburgh Passion took on the Toledo Reign. I was glad to see this game happened. I was a little worried about Toledo. Um, Pittsburgh did win it 47-0, but I am happy to see that Toledo at least played a game. This, you know, it's sad to see that they forfeited a game this season. That was not good to see them forfeit against the Vanguards. Um, But to see them go against... Pittsburgh. No, it didn't exactly go the way they wanted, but it was good to see that they didn't exactly call it, and I'm hoping they finish out their season strong. Detroit Dark Angels took on the Cleveland Fusion. I knew this one was going to be a tough game all around, but and I knew I had a feeling Detroit was going to win it. They did win it 24-6. to Capital City Savages took on Grand Rapids Tidal Waves, and as they had from their other two victories against Grand Rapids, did win 34 to nothing. Columbus Vanguards took on the Music City Misfits. This one was a close nail-biting game, and I had a feeling it was going to be. 
Um, Music City did win 10 to nothing, so obviously defenses were working their butts off here. And uh, worked out in Music City's favor. Orlando Anarchy took on the Miami Fury. Orlando really wants to make a statement and keep that season undefeated. They did 46-13 over the Fury. Kansas City Titans at the Dallas Elite. You want to talk about an enigma of the weekend. Kansas City was going into this 0-6. Dallas was sitting at... I have to look at Dallas real quick. We're sitting at um, 4-2. So this was kind of an unusual setup for the two. I don't know what happened to the Dallas Elite, but Kansas City beat them 60 to nothing. And what's strange is that gives Kansas City a playoff uh, berth. A 1-6 team getting a playoff berth. Think about that. But when you only have seven teams and, what, six spots in playoffs? Hmm, not surprising there. Somebody's going to get left out, and as it's looking right now... Well, as it's looking right now, it's possibly going to be like Portland, oddly enough. Um, I'd like to see the Mazzies justify this because, and I'll get to that in a second. I'll get to that after I'm done doing these scores, but um, this is a weird one. But yeah, Kansas City got their first victory of the season, and not by a little, by a lot. And it was interesting against another D1 team where the D2s were killing them, so it's very interesting to see how this is playing out. Um, all I know is this season is just full of headaches and confusion. Iowa Phoenix took on the Rocky Mountain Thundercats. I thought maybe Iowa could do, you know, really could give a challenge. I mean, they scored 14 points, but Rocky Mountain did take them 48 to 14. Katie on Zydeco took on Mississippi Royalty. Mississippi owned this game the whole time, winning 40 to nothing. Next week's game against Arkansas obviously is a forfeit to them, so Mississippi will be waiting for their playoff opponents with their 8 and 0 season. Houston Power took on the Austin Outlaws. As anticipated, this was another one of those very close nail-biting games. These two have been playing close, it seems, this year with each other. Power took the victory 12-6. Houston Energy took on Arlington Impact, another one of those kind of anticipated close games. Wasn't sure where it was going to go. Arlington gets the victory 26-24. Now, normally I don't do this, and this is actually only partially of what I said I was going to do. Um, all season, I've been keeping my conflict of interest out by commenting on the outcomes of some of these games. Yes, granted, the, the Tacoma game was an exception because um, I had to kind of give an explanation on that. But um, only because I'm, I don't have the access to the game film for this to break it down privately, I will say Oregon Hawks took on the Seattle Spartans. And... While this game was kind of neck and neck, Spartans were 0 and 6, or excuse me, 0 and 5, 0 and 6 all season leading up to this game. 
They had even forfeited to the Hawks on the 18th for their own safety because they, you know, had players that needed to recover. Hawks were sitting at 4-2 and two prior to this. Coming out of a bye week, and technically a previous bye week, because they had Memorial Day weekend off. I told the team I was going to be doing this. That I was going to give them a little bit of a real talk here. The final score ended up being Seattle Spartans 20, Oregon Hawks 13. I know exactly why the score ended up like that. And I will not say it on my show publicly why. But what I will say is... The Hawks need to figure it out for game number eight. They need to figure it out now. And they need to move forward and prepare for their game against Southern Oregon this weekend. Seattle gets their first victory of the year. Beyond that, I will not comment anymore publicly, out of fairness. But... The Hawks do know that they do have something coming their way from me. When I do have an opportunity, they will be getting the, I guess you could call the playbook treatment, where I will be breaking down film, and I can do this with any team. Anybody request this, I can do this with any team. I will be breaking down their game film and almost doing it like how I had to break it down for it playbook in 2014 going you know if this person had executed this play this way this could have stopped you know this is what I did for a living this is what I do for a living anyway is analyzing football so the Hawks know that that's on the plate I'm waiting on one thing but with breaking my traditional reasoning yes that is essentially what I am willing to say on the outcome for the Oregon Hawks at Seattle Spartans. Southern Oregon Lady Gates took on Portland Fighting Shockwave. This game went into double overtime, which says a lot there. Southern Oregon is a lot, is a very good team, not going to lie. I know that personally from personal experience this year. Double overtime against Portland Fighting Shockwave, but Portland still got the victory 34-28. to Rio Grande Heat took on the Sin City Trojans. And, you know, I think with Rio Grande, depending on how this plays out, because I know they're in the Albuquerque area, but we've got the Assassins waiting, maybe. Um, uh, You know, if they can just finish out their season, I don't know if this ended up being their last game of the regular season. It did. So... Now they can really focus on building themselves and doing what they need to to kind of move forward. While Sin City is also kind of waiting to see what's playing out for the playoffs because their last game, this was their last game essentially, because the Blitz are out. Um, you know, Sin City did come out on top, 66 to nothing. But... Uh, Definitely a lot of rebuilding for Rio Grande for next year. Sin City's also sitting there waiting to see what happens in two weeks. La Moeta de la Cruces took on Phoenix Phantoms. 
I actually thought Phoenix would have taken this victory, but La Moeta said nope. They took the victory 36-6. Nevada Storm took on the Cali War. This is by far the closest game I have seen any Cali franchise. Now granted, and I mean during the regular season because the LA Warriors did have their game against Portland in 2016 be like 12 to you know like 12 to 11 or something like that. It was close. This one being a regular season game, this was Cali's closest game. And I could tell that what got them was dealing with Nevada's run game. I had said before Nevada was a primarily run team where Cali was a primarily pass team. And both of their defenses had to work their butts off. Cali did win 12 to 6. Yeah, you're hearing me correctly. 12 to 6. Cali War is a Division 1 team. Nevada Storm is a Division 3. So, Cali's got a lot to look into on why this happened. And Nevada has a lot to look into about what can they improve on. So, this kind of benefits both teams. Um, I don't see the Mazzies hurting Cali out of the deal. But um, I actually see Nevada rising in this because they did hold this a lot closer than anybody, anybody anticipated. But I had said this was Cali's game to lose, and they almost did. Possession is not a good thing. And uh, as Cali moves forward, you know, they've got Phoenix coming up. It is not going to be easy for them. If Phoenix is paying attention, they should study that game film to all aspects and see what they can do. Kern County Crusaders took on the Inland Empire Ravens. This was another one of those games I anticipated would be very close, just because these two in the past have always played it close. Kern County took that victory 14-6. And then finally on this whole schedule for the WFA... The main mayhem took on the New York Wolves. I had thought this game was going to be close just because these two were playing close all season. Wolves decided to uh, take that and say nope and won 48-8. Now, since I'm on the WFA stuff right now, the biggest question has been with the Mazzy ratings. The biggest thing was... The Mazzy ratings, everybody kind of thought was to be, you know, oh, a cumulative thing. And a comment that was made to me was, if a team beats another team, this that record, you know, that's recorded. But if the team that lost to, you know, that the the team that's ranked higher, if the te- their opponent keeps losing, that should affect their scores. That is not of a reflection of the team that they just played. That just means the team that keeps losing, that's their problem, not the team that beat them. Because if we really want to be honest, then Boston, Cali, D.C., Portland, all these other teams should be sinking in the records, not sitting even higher. We want to be perfectly honest here. So I call bullshit on that reasoning. Well, I happened to find Kenneth Mazzie's 
thesis. The very man who decide, who created the Mazzy ratings, I found his college thesis. And he practically said, because right now it is kind of considered that when you finally settle on all of the, the equations, because it is a very complicated matrix of equations, that essentially the only thing that matters is the score, the venue, and the date. Which I think is a bunch of bullshit. Well, reading through his thesis, score has no bearing on it. It, it. The Mazzy ratings were never meant to truly rank teams based on strength of schedule or anything like that. That was only that was for the fans. That was added in afterwards so the fans would get excited and spend more money on the sport. That's all it was. His rating system was actually meant to determine who was progressing, who was regressing, and who was remaining constant. You know, some of you may remember the 2003 game between Utah and Alabama. Utah won the game, but because Alabama had showed improvement, they jumped Utah in the rankings and took the Sugar Bowl that year. That's why. They progressed enough, once the equations were all done and said and done, that they gained a higher ranking because they showed progress, where Utah actually showed a regression. That's what the ratings are meant for. Another key piece that everyone kept ignoring, and this was stated like in paid early on in this thesis, the rating system was never meant to be cumulative. It was meant to be recalculated every week and you had data points and then you figured out your median. It was not meant to figure out a true ranking until the very end of the season when you actually had a true average of every single data point leading up to the end. And it was never meant to be used on a computer because somehow when you do it by hand, you can humans can actually ignore previous data. You go by, I guess you could say, what is considered, you know, line zero. If you're going to use computer, you know, Excel sh- spreadsheets, you know, line zero. And it's the, all the basic equations with no values in for the variables. You know, X equals and it's a blank space. Well, line one for week one would have those values. Then it would be done. Week two, you go back to line zero and you calculate a new data point. You don't use week one's information. You have to recalculate it. And Mazzy says in his own thesis, because of football's variables are not the same week to week, you cannot fairly gauge the ranking of a team week to week. The Mazzy ratings were meant for Vegas. That's why usually you don't see rankings come out until about week five or six. Because... Two data points doesn't tell you an average. Three actually gives you an average. Four or five is actually a better average. You know, that's why the AP, yeah, the AP does it, but they throw out the Mazzies because it's the outlier. Well, yeah, because if it's done properly, it doesn't match anything else because its equations aren't meant to match anything. You know, it in layman's terms, it's easier to assign all these teams, you know, week one prior to the whole season. They're all given number one. 
by the end of week one, when the games have been played, you then break it into a matrix that says the top team that did well, you know, gets number one. They get 20, you know, say an example for 20 teams. Top team gets 20 points. The bottom team gets one point. Say the next week, that top team and that lower team have flip-flopped weeks. Now that team that only got one point ends up suddenly with 20 points, and that team with 20 the next week ends up with one point. You don't figure out your averages and what the rankings are until the very end. That's what Mazzy's own thesis in 1997 stated. The rating system was never meant to be used throughout the year. The only reason it got used was because they needed something to keep the fans engaged. The equations themselves are so complicated. I know math, and I looked through this thesis at his equations and went, what? They are very, very complicated. And it was just difficult to be able to, you know, properly determine it. But he said for many times, and I've seen many articles where he said this, the computers aren't doing it right because it's been programmed wrong. That's why this was one of those ratings that was meant to be done by hand. But you have to actually know what you're filling in. You have to understand what you're doing. And what I'm seeing right now is a lot of people don't understand what they're doing. And if you don't believe me, I'll just give you the first equation that shows up in this about linear regression that has to do with, you know, Thompson here says chapter two, many rating models utilize techniques of linear, linear regression. The least squares rating method discussed in chapter four relies heavy on the background information presented in this chapter. And he's talking about, you know, one of the first equations referring to predictors as X is a vector notion. The general linear models take on this form. Mu Y, you know, base X equals, it's like, and it has all this stuff. You know, it's like, uh, that doesn't help. Then as you go further down, you have sigmas that come in. You have, it's calculus applied to sports is what this is. And yes, computers can do that, but if you aren't paying attention to how you set this up, it's no wonder the Mazzy system was discontinued in college and why the NFL refuses to use it. So if you would like a copy of this thesis... Because this was, I got this off the Wayback Machine. Please message me privately and I will send it to you. Um, so you can read it. Because I think it's something that's very important. And especially if you're a mathematician, you're going to find this very interesting. And maybe you can get a different interpretation of this than I can. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is an important, I mean, this is big. This is something that definitely needs to be taken in consideration when figuring out our rating system because right now what we have isn't working and you know I'm still not sure how the hell a 1 in 6 team might beat out a 6 in 1 team
or a 6-2 and two team, you know? I don't know how the hell that's going to happen. Especially if it's not showing the proper progression. You know, I've been saying for years that maybe if we sat there and and actually, like, figured it out properly, it would be interesting to show what happened. But otherwise, I don't see that being the case. I really don't. I don't see that really... I don't see that being the case. I just see the computer thinking, you know, everybody thinking, well, the computer can't be wrong. But if the computer was programmed wrong, and you have the very man who made it saying that it was not meant to be like that. So who's really wrong here? That's just my little piece on it. I've always always said the Mazzy ratings were bullshit. Um, I've always said they're bullshit. And, uh... I'm just going by what the very man who created it said. Because it really, there's really no reason for it. I mean, the only thing that makes sense is home field advantage only is 3.593 points. That makes sense. That honestly really does make sense because being at home can play a role with exceptions, because I'm sorry, Mile High Blaze is going to have an advantage over a lot of these other teams they play just because of where they're at, and that's elevation. That does play an advantage. So yes, I do understand home fields playing a role in teams, but you've also got to take into account these teams themselves. But every week is a new thing. Stats can only go so far, you know. But we need to focus more on progressions, regressions, and consistencies the way that this rating was meant to show than we are focusing on an equation that has been wrong since day one. That's my personal opinion on it. Um, try my best to base it off of facts, but, you know, what the fuck do I know anymore? Kind of reached that point where I don't get listened to anyway, so... You know, but I am looking through this and seeing how he's got it placed in, and you know, maybe you can come up with a better system. And I'm not even saying easy football rankings is any better, because what says his equation isn't just as complicated. He may not be using some of the same elements, but again, how can we guarantee that that's even accurate? just me <clears throat> on the <coughs> sorry on the WNFC side of things five games were played for the last of the regular season but I only have scores for four of them because one game or for some reason will not report its scores anywhere um I have no idea how the Houston Heat-New Orleans Hippies game went because neither Houston nor New Orleans nor the league's access points have scores anywhere. And I find that very frustrating. Very frustrating. But the other scores I do have. 
Seattle traveled to the San Diego Rebellion. This ended up being a lot closer than I had anticipated. You know, I thought Seattle might have been able to just run away with this. But the Rebellion is a lot stronger than their 2-5 record suggested or whatever their record ended up being. Seattle did win 7 to nothing. Denver Bandits took on San Diego Surge. I knew that San Diego Surge was going to win this one. Denver did hold their own well enough. They scored some points. Surge ended up winning 70 to 27. <clears throat> Sorry. Las Vegas took on the LA Bobcats. I this game was definitely Closer than probably Bobcats would have liked, but at the same time, they were fighting to prove that they wanted a playoff spot and they needed it. LA did win 38 to nothing. And then Alabama at Florida, North Florida. This game was Alabama's way. Fourth quarter, North Florida only got their only points. It is a little interesting that it was only, it was either a safety or it was a return. To, um, Two point, because um, that's the only other way you can score points. That's the only other way you can score two points. But Alabama did win thirty six to two. And then yeah, as I said before, the New Orleans Hippies, Houston. I don't have a score for, so I have no clue. It's not up on Score Stream. Some teams don't even use Score Stream. It's not even up on either one of the social medias. And the WNSC website doesn't even post scores if it's not on those places. So. Shocker there. Um, like you said, all three leagues are not exactly on the highest mark with me right now. WNFC kind of has their own issue in the fact of finding out yesterday that technically their rulebook doesn't even really exist. Um, I have no problem, and I understand the committee's reasoning for voting to say, you know, with the playoffs, they're going to have 12 minute quarters. I get it because it is stupid to have two games in three days, especially in LA and Texas in summer. But that's their problem, not mine. Um, but it would be nice to have had publicly something said about, hey, you know, our rule book is currently being finalized. If you had just said, we use the NFL rule book, we have these NCAA or whatever modifications, cool. I had to find out through North Florida Pumas people that what the rule book was. The league never said shit. You know, when you look on their website, let's see if I can actually find that information because sometimes this website is so difficult to navigate. But it had a whole thing about, you know, about us and all this stuff. You know, it would have been really nice to have known that and not finding out until the last second. Other piece I find very interesting is, and this was brought to my attention is when you try to buy tickets to some games, like the playoff games, um, everything goes to Odessa Jenkins. And I'm just curious as to why. I mean, unless she registered on it and it's in a central pool or whatnot, but I do find it very interesting that the COO and the owner of the Texas Elite Spartans is getting all the money for games that she's not even attending. So, um, you know, and I've said this before, everybody's fair game. You know, I will go after everybody. I even went after, I go after my own team if I have to. 
you know, go after myself if I have to. Um, it would be nice if these teams would just pull their heads out of their asses and do the right thing. And I'm talking to all four of these teams I cover. You know, Guam has suddenly put their head in the dirt, and I'm getting a little tired of this. If you know people are covering you, why are you suddenly not talking? It would be nice to have communication. You can't complain about lack of coverage and then spurn the ones that are wanting to cover you. Just saying. You know, WFA, we already know my faults with them. They can't even keep their rule book updated, amongst other things. Um, Mazzy ratings, I mean, seriously, they need to kind of figure that out. But the biggest thing is they need to get officials figured out. They need to hold them responsible. And that means making sure that they are actually using the rule books that they're supposed to. My other irk for this weekend was, and I do not blame the Seattle Spartans for any of this. I do not blame them. Um, two of my players had shit stolen from the locker room. Top it all off, I had players that were rear-ended before the game. Still did the, their game to the best they could. Um, but yeah, a dumbass, according to his Facebook, his name is Ryan Rowans. And how do I know that? Because the dumbass used one of the player's phones, transferred money through one of the other player's credit cards that he stole, transferred money to himself, and posted all over his social media and took pictures of himself with the phone he stole. Um, player happens to, it was her personal phone, not her work phone, and... Every photo that's taken, everything that's done, she can track. Please have been informed, but he's a dumbass. He is a huge dumbass. So, that's kind of what that piece on my social media was about. Because, yeah, like I said, my weekend's been shit. <laughs> on a number of levels, that kind of was the whole tip of the iceberg. We found him doing that Sunday. We found out after the game that he had... Broke into our locker room and stole money. Um, beyond that, I don't know any more information. If you would like to help out the the players, you know, let me know and I'll get you in contact with them about help. Um, police have been informed. There was a police report filed that night about the stolen items. So we'll see how that plays out. Again, I don't blame the I don't blame Seattle Spartans for that cuz even they've said that they've had stuff stolen. So they've actually been more than helpful. They've they've really been helpful in this situation the fact that, you know, they were like make sure you call Visa, make sure you say then we're at this school, we're at this school district. They have security cameras, you know, they've helped us do it before. Um police will be nearby. We're going to you know, everything you need, we got you. You know, let us know. So, you know, I thank them for that. Because that was a whole shit situation on its own. You know, they didn't, ha they didn't have a locker room because the men were playing before us. So they gave us their locker room, changed out behind a sheet in a van. 
you know, that that's that's a sacrifice right there. And I I appreciate the efforts. And they were by far one of one of the nicest teams I've played all season. So, you know, great. It, it happens. I don't blame them one bit for it. No, I blame Ryan Rowan for being a dumbass and stealing from my players. Looking at some of the other stuff that has happened, kind of on a positive note, Castor Semenyaz, it's not football-related, but it does kind of relate to the next topic I'm going to talk about. Um, Castor Semenyaz's case... She took it to the Court of Appeals in Sweden because that is the next highest level after the Court of Arbitration of Sports and was given a stay on, or a reprieve, excuse me, on the band. So she is free to compete in the next race because the Court of Appeals in Sweden did not feel that the CAS actually presided over her case properly. So it is being reevaluated, and we will learn from there. In that meantime, she is free to race any race she wants. There's nothing the A the IAAF can do. The reason I bring that up is it's Pride Month. We have teams putting pride flags behind their logos, which is great. And because I have gotten to that point where I call out teams and I call out leagues and I call out people, the fact that the Minnesota Vixen posted on their own Facebook page yesterday, diversity not division, is more ironic than it should be. Sources tell me that the court case is still open. The court case where the Minnesota Vixen were sued for discrimination and have lost, but it is still in its final stages, which is why I don't have the full documents to talk about it. So the irony behind it is, you know, oh, they're all about diversity, except when it comes to the T part of the LGBT alphabet. Also, the WNFC has their own policy against transgendered athletes playing and yet they talk about you know it's pride month we need to support lgbt and i give kudos to the player that called them out for it you have your teams that said well we have trans athletes playing but the league policy says it's against the their policy so this is a perfect time for the wnfc to get the record straight and uh either make it public or um Admit that uh, they are actively discriminating in some cases and not because that's great. You're allowing trans athletes. That's great. But don't have a policy that pretty much deems them lesser than human. We talked about this in episode 17 and it's not going away. You know, I have a great post that kind of has a slight update on the alphabet. If you want to know what the full alphabet essentially is, LGBTQQIAAP. That's why it's the LGBT+. It's what we can call it. It's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, transsexual, because yes, those are different, queer, questioning, intersex, asexual. There's a question behind ally, but I'm sorry, I do think it counts, and pansexual. And there's always more that gets added. But you've got to remember... If you're going to support that alphabet, 
Go past the L and G. Acknowledge the rest of it. That means in leagues. That means personally. And if you don't agree with any of that, keep it to your damn self. Making policy because you don't think a trans woman is a woman is not practicing your First Amendment right. That's being an asshole. That's being a transphobe. It's being a TERF. If you are supporting women, trans women are women too. Not every woman has the same genitalia in their pants. Accept that. And my final little piece that I kind of want to get in there is, as it gets hotter, that means it's going to get hotter in your car. Don't be the dumbass that keeps your dog in the car with you. It only cracks the windows. When it's hot, it only takes three minutes to kill a dog. When it's 75 degrees in a car, it can be almost to 100. Any hotter than that, it gets hotter. I've called the dude that claimed I was harassing him. I called a guy. I called the police on a guy who left his chihuahua in his car. And when confronted, he called the police and said I was harassing him when all I said was, I have called the police for you leaving your dog in the car like a dumbass. I'll do it again. I see the next dumbass that leaves their dog in a hot car. I will call the cops. I have no problem with that. And if you are that kind of dumbass that leaves your dog in the car, your child in the car when it's hot, I'll call on you too. I'll call you out personally here. Don't be a dipshit. It's as simple as that. That was something that has been stemming around for a little bit for me. But, you know, every year we have to keep saying it. And yet, always we have somebody who's a dumbass and does this. If it's too hot for you to be in the car, don't expect it to be great enough for a dog. Simple as that. Use your best judgment. And with Pride Week, if you really are promoting support for everyone... Don't make it some capitalist agenda where, oh, I'm just trying to make money or, oh, I'm just supporting this or boycotting because you're upset your favorite beer happens to have a rainbow on it. These are the same people that flip out when the, you know, Starbucks cup doesn't have Santa. You know, it was great when these people kept their mouths shut and let other people just live their lives. You know, what? what is somebody who is trans, how is that affecting you? You're conflicted? You can still be attracted to a trans woman. And you can be a straight man and attracted to a trans woman and not be gay. You know, you can be, you can be a lesbian and attracted to a trans man. It doesn't matter. That's between you and whoever you're attracted to. It's nobody's damn business who you share your bed with. It is nobody's damn business who you, who you, you know, want to be with. That's old enough to give consent. I'm not talking about this bullshit pedophilia 
you know, well, that, you say love is love, and I mean talking that bullshit. But that also comes down to sports. When a trans athlete is competing, you only care about when they win. And when they win, then suddenly you give a rat's ass about what's in their pants or what's in their blood. You know what? Get over it. Get over it. I have played against and with many trans athletes. And you know what? I would, I would take a field full of them over a field full of ignorant assholes any day. It's the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. You have a pride parade because a trans woman of color threw the first brick. You have been listening to Four Point Stance Women's Tackle Football Talk on at least 10 different locations through podcasts and on various social media websites. You can access nine of them through anchor.fm then slash the number four PT stance. That'll take you to your favorite. If your favorite is not on there, please request it and it will get added as soon as possible. You can go to mixcloud.com and in the search bar type in Four Point Stance or Coach Ash and you'll find the show. You can also go to Twitter and join the forum at the number four underscore PT underscore stance. And you can follow me directly, W34VI1. You can also go to Yelfy, Y-E-L-L-F-Y, and get to the show, the number four PT stance, or W34VI1. And you can even access the show on Facebook at W34VI1 Productions, where I host this and I have various other media things there. And as a reminder, because this is an important time to really remember this, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, available 24-7 no matter what. They're there for you. 1-800-273-8255.